We'd like to thank LawPay for their support of this show. LawPay's online payment solution was developed specifically for lawyers to correctly separate earned and unearned fees so you can accept credit cards in compliance with ABA and IOLTA guidelines. A proud member benefit of the State Bar of Texas, LawPay is trusted by more than 50,000 lawyers and integrated with more than 30 practice management solutions. Schedule a demo today at lawpay.com forward slash Texas demo. Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hi, and welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast. You know, Joe Longley remembers the year 1969. That was the year he became a member of the State Bar of Texas and began an illustrious legal career. Now, if you do the math, and it's okay, you can use a calculator, we all do it. 1969 was 50 years ago. Today, Joe Longley is the president of the State Bar of Texas. We will be celebrating him and his fellow 50-year lawyers at the State Bar annual meeting, which will be held in Austin on June 13th and 14th. President Joe Longley, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Rocky. It's great to be here. You know, this is, Joe, as I'm, I'm trying to think back, are you perhaps the first State Bar president to actually be celebrating both 50 years as well as commemorating a year as being State Bar president? Is Are you the first? Do you know? Well, I don't know the answer to that question, but I don't know of any others. So uh, if there have been others, it's probably very few. That's probably as accurate as I can get it. And probably happened more than 50 years ago. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> May have. You know, we're celebrating our 80th year from the creation of the State Bar, which took place in uh, 1939. And so uh, this is our 80th year anniversary and our annual meetings coming up, and we're going to celebrate that uh, not only with our 50-year lawyers, but with a great deal of other lawyers as well. We have about 104,000 lawyers now who are active members. Now, out of those 104,000, about how many come to the annual meeting every year? Do you know offhand? I'm guessing maybe uh, 1,500, 2,000, something like that. It's usually a large number. It's well attended. That is a large number. So tell us a little bit, if you know, about the 50-year lawyer celebration. I know it happens every year at the annual meeting. That's kind of, it's a very special moment. But what exactly happens? Well, they're honored at a uh, they're honored at a special luncheon of which you know the the swearing in luncheon for the new president, and uh, they get a plaque and they get recognized. And uh, there's a time when they get together and have their picture made together uh, for those that are at the annual meeting. And I forget exactly how many there are this year, but I think there's in excess of uh, maybe 300, 400 lawyers who are 50 year lawyers. Oh, that's great! Yeah, it's a pretty good number. That is fantastic. We actually have t- over 10,000 lawyers who are over 70 years old. So once you get to be over 70 years old, you're probably getting pretty close to a 50-year figure for uh, being a member of the bar. Well, sure, but that's a very good number. Now, who's going to give you your plaque? Because, you know, you're the state bar president. So <laughs> are you, are you going to hand yourself a plaque? How are the mechanics going to work? You know, I really don't know, Rocky, because no one's told me that yet. But my guess is that... Uh, the plaques are handed out separately because there'll be enough 50-year lawyers there at the luncheon that uh, it would be fairly time-consuming to hand one to each uh, as their names were called. Their names will be called, they'll be recognized, but I don't think the plaque is handed to them at the same time. So how are you going to call yourself? Are you going to say, and next, well, me, 
Is, 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 have you figured that out yet? What's No, I haven't. I'm not even sure I'm the person that calls out the names. I hope I'm not. Uh, that way I won't have to uh, engage in that embarrassment. But, uh, but yeah, that's, it's, uh, they, they call everybody's names, and they stand up, and, and they hold the applause until everybody's been recognized. And, uh, and then at the end, they get a nice round of applause, and they go home with a plaque. Can I ask you, this may be a rather indelicate question, but now that I've got you, I want to ask you something that maybe others have thought of. And so please, please don't take offense. It's just, it's a question that, that I think you might be in a good position to answer. So there's a celebration of lawyers who've been practicing for 50 years, you know, the 50-year lawyers. Why should the rest of us be interested in that? Why should we care? Give us your thoughts on that. Well, I think it's... Uh you care because these people have stayed the course as active bar members for 50 years. Uh, sure. Most of them are still in practice. I know I am. I'm 76 years old right. and I have an active practice. Uh, I have cases uh, filed uh, in San Antonio, Austin, Fort Worth, Dallas, state court, federal court. And uh, I'm still very active and I plan to stay active so long as I can uh, keep up with uh, all these younger lawyers. So what do you think younger lawyers can learn from those who've been practicing 50 years or, or more? What are the questions we should be asking you when we, when we get you in a room? I would be interested, and I don't know the answer to this question, but I would be interested to see that what types of practices do these 50-year lawyers have? What is it that has kept their attention for 50 years and that they've enjoyed uh, the practice of whatever it is they do? I know for me, practicing law is like recreation. You know, I can't believe I get paid for doing this. A lot of people feel that way. But if you've been in it for 50 years, there's something about it that you really like, and it's within your practice, it's within your personality. And uh, I'd like to see some stats on that sometime because I see a lot of people uh, as either, you know, just by being president of the bar or having been around for 50 years, who um, they really get uh, burned out of their practice. It's something that they really don't like, the type of practice they got into. Maybe they're stuck in a library or they're, they don't get to go to court or, some, or maybe they're afraid of going to court and they have to go to court. <laughs> who knows what it is? But there's something about staying the course for 50 years that is going to be unique among people who you haven't dropped out before your 50 years is up and most of these folks are still practicing and uh, – it's just interesting to see, uh, it would be to me, as to uh, how they feel about practicing law and what's kept them doing it all these years. So what about, in, let's have you answer your own question. You said it's like recreation, but what is it about being a lawyer? Maybe several things, but what is it about being a lawyer that you've enjoyed so much? Well, it's, uh, you know, I come from a, a single mother family. Uh, I was raised by my mother, and uh, I did not know a lawyer there was none in either my father or my mother's family. Uh, I never met a lawyer uh, until there was like a civics day in the eighth grade in Fort Worth, and we all went down to the Elks Club, and everybody got assigned to a particular civil servant uh, who was in state, local, or city government. And I, I just happened to get lucky that day and got assigned to a district judge, and there was a trial going on, and uh, he was a very kindly old gentleman, and he let me sit up there on the bench with him. And uh, I got to watch the trial go on, and it looked like something that was just extremely interesting. And as I sat there and watched it, uh, it suddenly dawned on me that there was going to be soon be a winner and a loser, and that mm -hmm. it was a contest, and it was a competition. 
And I was always competitive and uh, enjoyed that type of thing. And I left the courtroom that day, never having been around a lawyer, a judge, a courthouse, never been around any of it. And my mind was made up that day as I walked out of the courthouse that uh, I didn't want to just be a lawyer. I wanted to be a trial lawyer because I'd just seen what goes on down there. And I thought to myself, how long has this been going on? Because it was great. So let's, because I, I know you have what, five grandchildren? Do I have that number right? I have six now. We just had one, we had one about uh, six weeks ago. Oh, congratulations, young uh, Lyle Longley! Wow, thank you. Yeah, no, we've got we got five boys, one girl. That girl is gonna she's gonna know how to run circles around all the guys because she's she's gonna be the little girl of the family. So no question about it. She's six years old, and she and she and uh, her cousin Joe, uh, they're going to give the pledge of allegiance at the uh, annual meeting bar leaders luncheon. And so they've all been practicing their Pledge of Allegiance. And I, I, I witnessed this yesterday, and they're doing just great. Well, that's well, that's something else to look forward to. So let's take any one of your six grandchildren. If they went to the courthouse when they're in the eighth grade, do you think they would be as enthralled by today's law practice and today's, you know, what goes on in a courtroom today? Do you think it would enthrall them the same way that that case enthralled you back when you were in the eighth grade? Well, you know, it's uh, uh, probably yes or, or no, depending on the kind of case it was. If it was a bankruptcy case or a, a wills or a state <laughs> case, maybe not. But if it was a case <laughs> like what so I witnessed, much. which is a uh, an right. unfortunate event that uh, befell a woman who went to the beauty shop to get her hair dyed and got her scalp burned, that was very interesting to me. And it was interesting to hear her tell her story. It was interesting to see the defense lawyer uh with carefully crafted uh, cross-examination questions, uh, you know, uh, pull a different story out of her, and uh, and it was it was just all around uh, fascinating to me because I'd never seen the adversarial process. Everybody was very courtly and and uh, kind to each other in the courtroom. Uh, the judge was the same way, and uh, I just happened to be in a courtroom with an interesting trial going on that caught my attention, and so. That was probably, it was the facts and the type of case that was being heard uh, and the fact that there was, uh, uh, it was like a play and, uh, or a, you know, a movie or something. And I was watching it, but I wasn't a part of it and I wanted to be a part of it. You've actually been fairly humble about your, about your legal career so far. You've not talked about some of the highlights. I know for those who may have taken their bar review courses, they'll remember studying about the DTPA, and there are some lawyers who make an entire practice out of the DTPA. Also, the longhand of that is the Deceptive Trade Practices Consumer Protection Act. You authored that statute. Am I hearing that correctly? Uh, that's correct. I had worked for Governor John Conley uh, while I was in undergraduate school, and uh, I'd worked for Governor Conley when I was in law school, and it was uh, I'd been around the Capitol building all of my career, and that was really a function of just coming to Austin to school to go to the University of Texas and being lucky enough to go down and not be afraid and get a job. Uh, first, I was an assistant sergeant in arms in the state senate with Lieutenant Governor President Smith. Then I went over and applied with one of the uh, executives with Governor Conley's office, I'd actually been his paper route boy when I was in Fort Worth. And so I didn't, I didn't really know him. I knew, I knew his kids, but I didn't know him. And, but I wasn't afraid to go and ask for a job. And sure enough, I got one in the mailroom and I worked there for, I guess it was about six years. I was there 
I started six weeks after he was uh, wounded in the um, in the assassination of JFK. Sure. And uh, okay. and one of my jobs was to sign all of his mail, and uh, I had to mimic his signature. And of course, as soon as I got there, he had been shot, and he was signing everything left-handed. When you know he was right-handed, I was right-handed, but so it was real easy for me to mimic his signature because you couldn't read either one of us to uh, <laughs> the signature. <laughs> we were both signing left-handed. <laughs> But uh, it was mainly uh, a function of geography. I just happened to come to school at the right place, uh, get a job at the right place, be interested in what was going on at my job at the right place. And so I had the privilege of working for Lieutenant Governor's Office, the Governor's Office, uh, the House of Representatives, the Attorney General's Office, all through there, and uh, have those jobs to where I had the opportunity to, to write laws and help pass laws and uh, as you mentioned, I did the DTPA. That was in uh, 1973. I was chief of the Antitrust and Consumer Protection Division at the Attorney General's office. And that was at age 29, which was ridiculous because uh, I barely knew where the courthouse was, much less what you know what to do if you got in there. And so I had a hand, the major drafting points of the Consumer Protection Act, which was the DTPA, uh, the insurance code uh, sections, which at that time were the unfair practices sections. And later sure. on, I, I helped draft the Prompt Payment of Claims Act, the Unfair Discrimination and Insurance Act, helped draft the what's called the Texas Home Solicitation Act, the Door-to-Door Sales Act, where you had a three-day cooling oh, off period for any door-to-door sales. I helped draft the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, where people were being harassed on their jobs or harassed by telephone or just generally harassed by debt collectors. And then finally, the insurance, uh, the finance code regulations in which uh, people charge too much interest or annual uh, rates of interest. And uh, there were penalties for that, usury penalties, disclosures that went along with that. And then finally, I had a hand in drafting most of the landlord-tenant laws uh, with regard to security deposits and utilities cutoffs that would protect uh, tenants who mainly uh, were in the area of you know apartment rentals and things like that. Uh, I also had in hand in drafting, uh, helped draft the Texas Sunset Act, which, of course, the state bar is subject to. Mm-hmm. Uh, every 12 years, the state bar has to justify itself or re-justify its existence. And that came from the Texas Sunset Act, which was passed in that 1977 uh, session with Lloyd Doggett, our congressman, who's still our congressman. He was in the um, Senate at that time, and he carried that bill, and I helped uh, Actually, I helped put the State Bar of Texas in there for the first uh, Sunset Review, which uh, took place in 1979. So then it sounds like your your focus, and it looks like your career has been, it sounds like you're advocating for mostly for consumers on the consumer side of, of these transactions. Is that accurate, or have you also been on the defense and... No, that's totally accurate. I've always been a consumer advocate, and uh, I always uh, used, uh, as far as the advocacy was concerned, I always used, I guess, what you would call the profit motive. Uh, My approach to access to justice through passing all these laws was uh, using the capitalist free enterprise system to make fraud unprofitable in the marketplace. And I guess that stemmed from my antitrust experience with treble damages and mandatory treble damages and so if somebody did something wrong or that violated the law in the marketplace, they were subject to having three times what they had taken issued against them and them having to pay three times the penalties that, uh, that for getting caught. And so 
the treble damages really is an offshoot of the antitrust laws, and that's basically utilizing the profit motive to make fraud unprofitable in the marketplace. And every one of those laws, which I just reeled off to you that I had a hand in, sure. they all had attorney's fees for the plaintiffs uh, who were successful built into the law. That was the first time where you could collect not only your damages and perhaps treble damages, but also court costs and attorney's fees. And that's a that's a different kind of access to justice. It was an early form of it, and it was very effective. And it still is today. Uh, where you can make someone pay three times what they took, that's uh, justice to me. So when you look back, you know, you, you think back to when you were drafting these provisions, and you look, you know, now it's in some cases, we're talking 40 years later, where there's still, these statutes have gone through amendments, they've gone through some judicial interpretation. Have you been surprised in any way by how they've been applied and how they've been interpreted? Or has it been exactly what you expected it to be? Well, actually, it has kind of been what I expected it to be because oh, interesting. Okay, we passed those laws in a throw the rascals out session of the legislature. There was a huge turnover <laughs> in 1973 uh, because of okay. the Sharpstown bank scandal down in Houston, and as a result, we had a new governor, we had a new lieutenant governor, we had a new attorney general, we had a new speaker of the house. Both the Senate and House of Representatives both uh, had over half of each turned away, and they were uh, elected new people. So we were painting on a blank canvas in 1973, and we, we surprised ourselves in that we got all of this legislation passed, and it all just about got passed in its original introduced form. There wasn't nearly the give and take that you would see in a normal session like what's going on right now down at the Capitol. Uh, and so... When I saw that, uh, you know, we had written these laws to be very strong. I mean, they were all stronger than mustard gas. And they came out and they got signed into law pretty much that way. So we knew that these laws would be chipped away at in the future, that they would have to be toned down, and that would be the give and take of the legislature and future legislatures. And so it was not at all a surprise to any of us that worked on those bills to see that there would be some, um, some give and take in the future. And uh, that they would finally settle in to be a law that would be understood by both sides. It would be fair, and uh, it would be easily uh, administered by a judiciary that uh, understood what the laws were there for. Interesting. We could probably talk for several hours about all of the things you've seen and all the all the landmark statutes and decisions you've worked on. You know, I, I want to go back for a second, if you don't mind, you know, to this concept of the 50-year lawyer. Because this is, yes. you know, we just talked about the importance of that and, and you know, I guess the information you bring with you. So when you became a lawyer in 1969, the 50-year lawyers of that time would have become attorneys in 1919. So from 1919 all the way to the present, you, you've theoretically had access to about 100 years worth of legal knowledge. And as you look back, you know, we talk a lot about the changing times and the changing legal marketplace and the landscape and so on and so forth. Are there maybe some timeless lessons that we as lawyers could learn from that 100-year history that you've been able to kind of have access to during your career? Well, the, the main one is, of course, the constancy of the rule of law, that uh, our system of government, this Republican form of government that we have in the United States, has been only as strong as everybody uh, who participates in it. And the one thing we all have to agree on, or it doesn't work, is the rule of law. And uh, everybody agrees that there is a rule of law, and we have a system by which how that law is going to be administered and determined. 
And uh, if we don't all play ball that way, then you know we're headed for anarchy. And so the rule of law is what holds the bricks together. It's the mortar that holds the bricks together of uh, our free society and uh, the administration of justice, in my view. You know, I'd like to talk with you more about this at the annual meeting, if you've got some time. I'd like to sit down and, and hash this out with you, and maybe we can maybe we can get some more Texas lawyers out there to come and, come and join in on that discussion, because that sounds like a very, very big topic. But, Joe, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for the moment, but I want to congratulate you. I mean, you've had a landmark year as state bar president and celebrating 50 years as a Texas lawyer. I mean, wow. Congratulations, Joe. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm the 138th president of the State Bar of Texas, but I'm the only president that's ever been of the State Bar of Texas who ran as a petition candidate. I was nominated by the petition process by having to get over 5,000 signatures on a petition. And so thus far, I remember. I've, been the only, <laughs> I've been the only candidate ever to get on the ballot by petition and actually win the election. So Hopefully, I've been an instrument for positive change, and I think I have, and uh, I'm very proud of having served. I'm very thankful and appreciative of those who signed my petition and elected me. Well, you're not you're not done serving yet. We still get a few more months out of you before, got, before your, got two more your time is up. <laughs> yes, indeed. Not, not that you're counting. Who's counting? No, who's counting? But Joe, th- you know, thank you for being here. Now, for those of you listening, don't go anywhere. I have a little special bonus for you, so... Hang on right where you are. You might remember Joe talking about the annual meeting. He and I talked about that quite a bit. Well, I've been very lucky to have attended every annual meeting since 2009. I have a blast there. I see a lot of the same faces, but I'd like to see some more. In fact, to be honest, I'd really like to see you there, and I'd love to meet you in person. To find out what's going on at this year's annual meeting, I thought we would ask the State Bar of Texas Executive Director, Trey Apfel, who, by the way, is also a past president of the State Bar of Texas, to hop on the podcast and tell us what's in the works this year. So Trey graciously agreed. And here he is, Trey Apfel. Welcome. Good afternoon, Rocky. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for joining us. This is indeed a rare privilege and honor for us. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, visiting with you. I've got some exciting uh, information about the annual meeting that I'd like to share with you when when the time is right, and uh, looking forward to uh, having this d- discussion. Well, I just checked my watch, and guess what? It's the right time. So tell us what's on the agenda for this year. First of all, let's let's start with preliminaries. When exactly is the annual meeting, and where is it? Rocky, our annual meeting this year is going to be in downtown Austin at the JW Marriott, and it is scheduled for June 13th and 14th. Well, good, because that's what I told everybody. So I'm, I'm glad that I, I gave them the right information. I've been known for misdirection sometimes, so it's good that that didn't happen this time. So what's on the agenda? What can newcomers expect to see there? Well, the best aspect of it, we have two full days of informative CLE sessions, and a, a lawyer can come and complete a year's worth of CLE credit in just two days. Uh, we've got a, uh, just as luck would have it, we've got an early bird registration that if uh, the members can register by May 13th, they get the early bird registration rate of $295, and that's a great uh, uh, bargain for anybody wanting to come and get that CLE done in two days. And I assume there's still hotel space available as well? Hotel space is available. We're expecting a good attendance, and the best part of the attendance is going to be our networking events where lawyers can uh, 
make some new personal connections and renew old friendships. And I know as a practicing lawyer myself and, and having been to several annual meetings, it is just the best place uh, that one can go to uh, reacquaint with uh, old colleagues and uh, share notes and uh, tell war stories as we're wont to do every now and then. So it's a great event. You bring up an, an interesting and a very important point because, you know, nowadays with so much online CLE, I mean, the state bar provides a vast and and very deep library of online CLE activities. You can theoretically get your CLE just sitting at your desk. So then that begs the question, why go out to an annual meeting and spend two days there? But it sounds like networking might be one reason to go. Is there? Well, as, as I travel the state and, and, and talk about the benefits of, uh, of our state bar, I tell young lawyers all the time to get out from behind their desk because they could literally practice law 24-7 sitting at their desk behind the computer and do everything they need to do. But if they do that, they're missing out on one of the most enriching you know, aspects of the profession, and that's uh, getting out visiting uh, with other lawyers, other colleagues, and sharing notes and learning new techniques and learning about new law firms and resources that are available to lawyers, and this is just the best way to do it. Okay, so let's, let's maybe talk about some examples, because this sounds exciting. You know, let's talk about maybe some of the topics or some of the, some of the speakers that, that we're expecting this year. Who's on the roster and on the agenda that people might want to come listen to? Well, we've got three outstanding keynote speakers, uh, beginning with Dan Rather of uh, News and Guts. The Dan uh, Rather? Okay. The Dan, the Dan, Dan Rather. Rather. The Dan Rather, who got his uh, start reporting on Hurricane Carla in 1961 that hit Galveston, my hometown. And wow. uh, so he's going to be there. Uh, he'll be speaking at the Bar Leaders Recognition Luncheon. We also have Will Haygood. Uh, Will is an acclaimed biographer, a Pulitzer Prize finalist, and an award-winning author and reporter. He'll be speaking at our bench bar breakfast. And then lastly, uh, our third speaker is Asha Rangappa, and she is a former FBI agent who is now a senior lecturer at Yale University and a CNN contributor, and she will be our keynote speaker at the general session luncheon. And what's Asha going to be talking about? She is going to be speaking about her experiences as an FBI agent and world events and her view on some of those world events. And she, she's an incredible speaker, as I understand it. I've never seen her personally, but I've heard reports of her, of her style. And I know that she can mesmerize an audience with her knowledge uh, and intellect about world events and world views. Okay, so th- this, this actually sounds really cool. Now, I know there's also a lot of different tracks. And so can you, for those, for those who aren't familiar, maybe have never gone, can you describe what we mean by the different tracks of the annual meeting? Well, with the different tracks, we've, we've got, you know, something for uh, all interests. We're celebrating our 10th anniversary of the popular adaptable lawyer track, for instance, and this spans both days of the conference. This particular track is a technology-focused track that includes sure. the popular uh, 60 apps in 60 minutes and adaptable lawyer talks sessions. And these are modeled after TED Talks. So this, right. is, this is something that we're really interested in uh, uh, and excited about putting on. And as I understand it, 
I think you've got uh, a role to play in that particular adaptable lawyer session. Uh, can you share that with us? <laughs> well, hey, you've just turned the tables on me. I, I've, I've become the guest on my own podcast. This is, I can tell you were probably a deadly lawyer when you were, when, when you were practicing. Well, I'm, I'm glad I was never against you. <laughs> you're, you're good. But, well, okay, so yeah, you know, I was actually, so I, I was one of, the, one of the lawyers who helped found the adaptable lawyer track you know, gosh, like you said, 10 years ago, 2009. And, That's what I understand. You know, it's, and it was really the brainchild of, of Mike Maslanka, who is now a professor at UNT Dallas College of Law. And I was just kind of, I just kind of went along for the ride and hung onto his coattails and water skied behind him. But, you know, th- the idea was to talk about the developing trends in the law, things that maybe lawyers aren't thinking about. So in 2009, it was issues like social media. Today, it's issues such as artificial intelligence and what what that might bring for us. I'm actually going to be moderating a panel this year talking about diversity. And it's not just in terms of having diversity at your law firm. That's obviously very important. But it's also talking about how lawyers need to be more attuned to the issues of diversity for purposes of being able to, to attract and connect with the right kinds of clients. So we're, we're taking that, that issue and saying, how do you really grow your practice by by becoming more diversity oriented. But, you know, that's just one of them. Like you said, 60 apps in 60 minutes. There is standing room only every year for both days. I mean, we have to do that twice in a row because people just love that session. And it is absolutely fascinating. I, I walk away spending hundreds of dollars on apps. Yes, and I was just going to add that, that that format has been a, a very successful format for us at the annual meeting. And uh, we're looking forward to another packed house. I anticipate nothing less. You know, I know some years ago we had a really a really cool track where different lawyers and judges, very prominent ones, were were reading from To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. And I think that was that was marking maybe 100 years since To Kill a Mockingbird had been published, something to that effect and I remember that was just the buzz of the annual meeting that year. So we've we've had some really interesting people there that kind of come through and, and you get to rub shoulders with them and you get to know them and get to meet them. It's been fascinating. Absolutely. It's a great, like I said, it's a great opportunity to get to see different vintages of lawyers and lawyer, the quality of lawyer that's involved in it. We have our own president, Joe Longley, uh, whom uh, I understand you've spoken to already, uh, but we're honoring uh, our 50-year lawyers this year by recognizing all those lawyers who were licensed in 1969. Joe Longley, our current president, was one of those such lawyers, and I'm looking forward to getting a chance to honor him at that. Absolutely. And, and Joe and I had a very, just a wonderful talk about 50 years of law practice and what it means, and he certainly opened my eyes to some, to some very interesting aspects of, of having made it that long and that far in the legal field. So, yeah, congratulations to Joe and and all of his 50-year colleagues for sure. Now, you know, Trey, as you look back, you know, from your time as president of the state bar and as a practicing lawyer, you were very active in the bar even during your years of practice. How should people make the most out of the annual meeting? You know, when you go there, you know, obviously you can just go in and sit in on CLEs. There's other things you can do. What did you do to kind of maximize your time there and get the most out of it? Rocky, I always tried to get the uh, program uh, in advance, kind of map out a strategy, uh, more or less, to uh, take in as much of the CLE 
uh, as I could, as well as plan for some of the uh, downtime in between CLEs to where I had a chance to visit some of the booths, see some of the uh, resources that the State Bar has to offer, and then obviously run into uh, colleagues and uh, friends in the halls and uh, have a chance to visit with them as well. So I think just a little advanced planning goes a long way in trying to maximize uh, your time at the annual meeting. That's a great point. When I go to the annual meeting, I, I've I've been told this, and I've certainly seen it in practice. The state bar of Texas, it really is unlike any state bar in the country. I mean, we've got we've got probably the best state bar, pardon the expression, bar none, <laughs> <you know? laughs> throughout the country. It's a pretty amazing group of people. And you know, I'll tell you, my favorite part of the of the annual meeting is I get to hang out with the state bar staff, and we have got some amazing staff people. The folks that are working, you know, at the law center. 365 days a year. They're just phenomenal people. So I, I tell people all the time, just come out there to get to know your state bar staff. They're, they're just lovely, lovely individuals. Well, the annual meeting event, it's a team effort led by a volunteer annual meeting committee uh, and supported by many other volunteers, our state bar staff, our state bar sponsors and exhibitors. We're very grateful for their hard work. Uh, I can tell you that our state bar staff is second to none. I'm so proud of the way that uh, they go about their business. They truly care uh, about what they do and how they do it. They care about the lawyers. They care about the law. They care about the rule of law. They just uh, do an excellent job, and I'm proud to stand with them each and every day. Well, absolutely. Well, well, Trey, I think I know I'm excited, and I hope others will come out there. You know, if you're out there listening, please come. Yeah, I, I would love to meet you. I know Trey would love to meet you. We, we'd all just. Love to have you there and to, and to welcome you to the annual meeting. So please pencil that in. You can still get in early bird. Take advantage of that by May 13th. Book your stay and just come spend a couple of days getting to know your fellow lawyers. So, you know, Trey, thank you for kind of giving us that overview and for telling us what's out there. I also want to thank Joe Longley for joining us earlier. And of course, I want to thank you for tuning in. And I really hope you'll make it to the annual meeting. I really do. If you do, I will be at the Legal Talk Network desk recording podcast. So please do stop on by. Oh, and by the way, this podcast is brought to you thanks to the generous support of LawPay. So thank you, LawPay. We love you. If you like what you heard today, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, life's a journey, folks. I'm Rocky Deer, signing off for now. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to TexasBar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.